0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, and welcome back. Welcome back to the Porsche Cooled Podcast. It's Tuesday, and Tuesday means owner stories. Uh, I've got another good one today. This is number 36 of the owner stories series, and I have a fellow Australian, a fellow Aussie coming in uh, from Brisbane in Queensland. Uh, Bernard is going to join me very shortly by Zoom. Uh, Bernard has owned a couple of Porsches. Uh, he has a newly acquired one, which he acquired uh, a few months ago. Let me get Bernard on the line. Let me connect to Zoom and let's start hearing about uh, Bernard's Porsche-cooled owner's story. Okay, welcome back everyone. Welcome back to Owner Stories. Uh, This is number, you know I always get this wrong and I always forget, I'm looking at my notes, number 36. And today we've got a good one again. Uh, We've got a fellow Aussie coming in and today I'm joined by Zoom as I always do these uh, owner stories. I'm joined by Bernard and Bernard is coming in from sunny Queensland, from Brisbane. Good morning, Bernard. How are you?
1: Oh, morning, Michael. Or well, it's actually evening here in this part of the world. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for being on. Yeah, I mean, the listeners, it, it's it's always a bit of a tricky thing organising the timing for these owner stories because um, Australia is probably the most difficult, actually, <laughs> because a lot of the <laughs> uh, a lot of the owners have to do it in the evening. So sometimes I do them quite early in the morning. Today's not so bad. It's it's ten a.m. here in London, so it's not so bad. Um, but I just want to tell the listeners why they're at the beginning of the podcast, Bernard, is that, you know, if you want to be on owner stories, you just reach out to me, uh, like, uh, Bernard did is just by Instagram through Porsche cooled and just send me a message. Um, sometimes I take a little while to get back because I do actually get a lot of messages now. It's, it's getting quite crazy. So, uh, just send me a message though. And I will eventually get back to you and, and schedule a time for the owner stories, Bernard, you're, we're going to talk about your, your Porsche journey today, your Porsche story. Um, and like I said to you off recording, I always like to start these podcasts with with where it all began, uh, where it all began when you started thinking, hey, I, I, I want to get a Porsche or I want to get a 911 um, and the journey to get there. You know, some people go through quite a lot of cars. Some people just their first car is, is a 911. So how did it all start for you? Did you... Did you have any family or friends that owned a Porsche or did you, you know, did you see them when you were younger in life, you know, as a kid and, and thinking, you know, I, I really want to get one of those? How did it all start?
1: Look, that is a really fascinating story for me, Michael. I'll say this for the listeners who are Queensland, Brisbane based, unlike yourself who is from Sydney, we won't hold it against you during <laughs> State of Origin time, but... Brisbane has come a long way, but it was really a country town. Growing up, you didn't see a lot of Porsches. Like, I hardly saw any growing up, so I'm going to go on a limb and say the first time I really understood what a Porsche was, I was probably about seven years old. I was on the Gold Coast because I think that's where the more Porsches were probably, when I was in the 80s and 90s, were located. I think it was probably about 1990, 1991. My mother, and happy Mother's Day today, by the way, to everyone out there, which it is today. Uh, my mother actually pointed out, oh, there's a blue Porsche there owned by the hairdresser Stefan. I don't know if you know Stefan. He's a very big personality. Yeah, in Queensland. I,
0: I know of him, actually. Yeah. I used to know yeah, so somebody used to work for him. So I oh, do actually know. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So he had, I believe at the time, it was a blue, probably a 911 convertible or 930, but it stood out because he had the personalised plate hair. So my mum said, that's Stefan. Oh, and I I was quite taken back by this particular car. So that was probably my first real, wow, this is something special. But as I said, I hardly saw any Porsches on the road and the dealership in Brisbane was extremely small. So not like Sydney where, and even till today, I'll say that, even in this more, you know, evolution Brisbane has gone through, I'm probably lucky to see one 9-11 a week, whereas in Sydney you probably see two, three, four a day. But that just shows that Brisbane is, back then you can imagine, a Porsche was quite rare. But I think if I really be honest, I was probably a little bit more infatuated with Ferrari because there was one near me. So every time I saw it, I was like, wow, that's special Porsche. I, my dad didn't really know anyone with them because as I said, they were rare. But I think my first real infatuation, if you like, was when I was about 13, 14 years old. And I was reading, as, as you do back then, wheels magazine and the like and the Boxster yeah. had just been come out so I think yeah. if you remember Michael 95 96 97 every second motor or wheels magazine was on the Boxster. Yeah. so my father is also a bit of a petrol head uh, granted he couldn't afford a Porsche back then but he had a BMW 3 series which was kind of the the car to have in at the time and we went down to what was a the, the dealership Austral Motors Porsche, who are actually still the, the authorised dealer in Brisbane, in their old dealership in a suburb called Bowen Hills. And I saw this pastel yellow Boxster for the first time. Now, Michael, I think, I don't know about you, pastel yellow was a very polarizing color so I don't think it did the box do a great deal of justice yeah not really I, it's a bit washed no. out that
0: color isn't it I mean it's yellow but it's it's a, a very washed out type of yellow
1: um it, yeah so that was really the first time we went wow like at that point I just said I I love Porsche and walking around the dealership with my dad I saw then what was then the 993 911. The 928 and 968 was was probably a little bit before my time. I knew what they were, but couldn't appreciate it, unlike the Boxster. Now, that was was really the first time I I said to myself at a 13, 14-year-old, that is going to be the the dream one day. And at the same time, my hero cars were, at that point, the 993 Turbo in Arena Red, which was the hero color, and the Ferrari 355. So for those listeners out there, I think you can resonate if you're sort of mid to late thirties like myself that they were your hero cars.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting the the comparison you make with. Um Brisbane and Sydney. I mean, I'm not always from Sydney. I used to live in a country town. So when I was growing up, until I was 10, you know, I really didn't see that many nice cars. And I've mentioned the story before mm. where my my enjoyment and my passion for cars was sitting sitting on my bicycle on the side of the road, watching the cars drive back to <laughs> Sydney, watching the cars drive back to Sydney, and seeing cars that I've never seen before. Some of them being Ferraris, some of them being Porsches. You know, some of them just being you know I, there was even American cars and stuff at the time. Um, and, you know, for the listeners, for the listeners, just so they understand it, you know, Gold Coast is, is is as Bernard said, Gold Coast is a little bit more, let's say, it is a little bit more flashier than Brisbane, isn't it? It's a little bit more affluent and there are a lot more cars there. And I guess it's like in Sydney as well, in certain suburbs, you know, um, in Sydney, I live in the inner, inner city, but in the eastern suburbs and Double Bay and, and Vaucluse, you, you do see a lot of 911s, uh, a lot of 911s. Um, and I had a friend the other day, Bernard, that said to me, you know, he when he was in Sydney, it seemed like no one owned a 9-11. And I said, you must have just been in the wrong suburbs because a lot of people do actually own 9-11s in Sydney. There is a lot of them. There is a lot of them.
1: And I say that actually the Gold Coast for the listeners, there's a nickname I heard from a foreigner. That is the Miami of Australia. Now, I'd never been to Miami in the US, but maybe that paints a picture for the the listeners out there, whatever that means. Yeah,
0: it's it's a little bit more flashy, I guess. I guess that's what it's all about, (laughs) isn't it? Um, Okay, so... So you see these cars, you know, your, your hero car is that arena red, you know, the, the the ad, the car, the color they used in the advertising for the 993. Um, you know, you go to the dealer, you see these cars. Later on in life, you start to think, okay, I'm going to buy my own car. I'm going to get my first car. Um, a lot of us don't start with a 911. What was a notable car that, you, that you've that you owned on the way to your Porsche journey?
1: So there was a Porsche early on. So for my father, this is an interesting one. He is a he's an accountant, and he's always about saving money and investing. But he found this car from a client who's a, who's actually a motor dealer of all things, a wholesaler in the trade, as we call it. And there's an interesting story about this 944 S2. So it's a 1989 in the stereotypical Guards red, with the but this. S two and for the <laughs> listeners out there, and Michael, I'm not sure if you follow S two nine four four. It's actually back on for sale right now on car sales at Nick Theodosi Prestige. Uh, I'll come to that a little bit later. But oh, the
0: actual this, sorry, Bernard, the actual car is for sale. Yes, and oh, okay, I'll,
1: but you'll, you'll fall off the chair. They want ninety thousand dollars for it, and I'll I come s- to the, the
0: Yeah. So you said this had very low mileage. This car. So how did this car come about then? Tell us that story.
1: So. I came across it uh, Well, uh, actually a little bit before that in 1999, so before I could even drive, my father knew of the car from this dealer because he got it, I believe, from a deceased estate from the Gold Coast. So, the lawyer managing the estate was trying to sell it. So, this wholesaler bought it, called my father, said, are you interested? And my father, because I was in school at the time, as was my sister, said, no, it's not the right time, you know, family commitments, et cetera, et cetera. So, He sold it to another friend of his, this dealer, and didn't hear anything about it. At the time, the car was 10 years old with about 8,000 kilometers. And then this business person on the Gold Coast in 2005 called my father. uh, Sorry, the dealer, I should say, said, you remember that 944 I showed you six years ago? Dad goes, yes. Well, it's up for sale again because he needed to sell it because his wife was quite ill. So my dad said, you know, I know I shouldn't say this, as my dad says, but you've got a bit of money saved up for that house deposit. Maybe you should look at this car because it, you know, could be pretty cool. And I was like, okay, 944s2. It was certainly not a poster car of mine. Didn't know anything about it. If anything, I didn't really like the look of it. It looked very old, even back then, for a 15-year-old car. It didn't age very well, I thought. But when I saw it in the flesh, it had, what, 12,500 kilometres in 2005 as a 16-year-old car. So
0: it's been really pampered, hasn't it? It's been really... Correct. It's it's obviously been in someone's collection or someone that has a few cars. It couldn't have been their only car.
1: No, I don't believe so. And all I know is that the, the second owner, I think it was his second or third car, but he just never used it. It was a Lock up in the garage, toy. So this nine four four. For those listeners who know a little bit about the the water cooled, this was a fully spec, probably the equivalent. You had all the Mo thirty Sport Pack full leather, which I have I rarely see on an S two. Even had, would you believe, Michael, in nineteen eighty nine, a Eurovox CD player. And now I was blown away by that. And LSD you had the LSDs. So it was a fully optioned S two from new. So, long story short, I bought it and. Okay. I had a bit of fun with it. I did about 5,000 kilometers in three and a half or just over three and a half years. And then I did the sensible thing. I sold it. So for listeners in Australia in '05, I paid 37500 for that car, which was- Which is quite expensive, yeah. for an S2. Absolutely. An
0: in, S2, o- in 05, that would have been a lot because- Correct. You know, casting my memory back at the time, they were probably half that amount, weren't they?
1: oh the back then the 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 really run down ones were probably in the early 20s you could find a pretty good one in the in the early 30s but to pay anywhere near mid to late 30s you were you had to be a real enthusiast but this dealer told me
0: that's a pretty serious purchase sorry bernard that's a pretty serious purchase then at the time you know like you're spending a lot of money on your first porsche
1: so correct, yeah, I was twenty two years old, too at twenty two. <laughs>
0: that's a, that's you know that's a big purchase in 05 for a you know for any car, but let alone a car that's you know not not a new car that's getting into classic status. So, yeah, keep going with the story, but so this is from a dealer that had it advertised?
1: Was a no, well, they're a wholesaler. So they, wholesaler, he's a, okay. he's a, he was a wholesaler on the Gold Coast. He mainly dealt in rental cars and four-wheel drives, but he was a fairly old, so I shouldn't say old, but he was well-established. So he had a lot of contacts. So he would pick up the, the odd interesting car. As Growing up as a kid, he was my dad's biggest client. So he'd tell us about a Lotus Esprit he had. it could put his hands on or a Lexus LS400, which again was a rare car back in the 90s. So this was quite special. So, to cut a long story short, I bought it at 12,000 Ks. I sold it at 17 and a half in June '09. So, for the historians out there, that was the global financial crisis. I made a decision to sell that and build my house because being an accountant as well, that was the sensible thing to do. And I thought I was a genius because I sold it for $1,000 more than I paid for it. it took really? a while though. It took about <laughs> seven weeks in the financial crisis, but a gentleman from Sydney bought it. Now, the cut, I'll cut to the today story. So, in the time I sold it, I sold it with 17,000 Ks in June 09. And I know in that time, it's changed hands about three times. So, I won't mm-hmm. name the the, the gentleman I sold it to, but he was a well-known collector in Sydney. The second owner is a well-known person and who owned it. He was actually the CEO of Virgin Australia, the former CEO, John Borghetti, who I think, Michael, oh, yes. he's he, a pretty well-known Porsche yeah, 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 collector yeah. in Sydney. Yeah, I know who, and he, who he is, yeah. And then I, and I think he bought that from Classic Throttle Shop in 2013 because I actually saw the car advertised for about $60,000 in 2013. Right. Yeah. So I thought, oh. Geez, that was a missed opportunity. I sold it too cheap, and then another person in Victoria bought it from John, I believe. And I I heard a rumor—I can't prove it—he paid close to eighty for it. So that person, I believe, has moved it on now. I don't know how Nick Theodosi acquired it. Is it their car? Is it consignment? No idea. But if you look on Car sales, it's got twenty-one thousand Ks, maybe give or take. And I sold it at seventeen. So in what's that? 12 years to, to today it's only done another three and a half thousand kilometers and now it's to sell for, for 90,000 and there's always a little part of me that goes, "Geez, I'd love to buy that again but I went, nah
0: <laughs> I was going to say, all the listeners know the you know the owner stories I record a little bit in advance but it's the beginning of May, it's the 9th of May today so the car's advertised now um, mm-hmm. you know it, it comes back to the thought that I always have, Bernard, is that you know if you own a classic porsche and you can and you can you and if you can do it is not to sell them do you know what i mean you really shouldn't yeah. give them away because you know history has shown us that with porsche prices it's like it doesn't matter how low they go it doesn't matter how low they go <laughs> like 88 uh, g50 carreras when they were 29000 27000 in 2004 you know not not always perfect condition ones but they were down to that low to what they are today close to 180 170,000 you know what i mean so Porsche has shown us that as an investment you know and and you being an accountant i remember saying to my brother when i first bought my 911 i was saying you know you're not going to lose money on a 911 it's going to appreciate and he said cars don't appreciate you know, <laughs> but 911s they kind of do right you don't really spend that much yeah. money sure you have got to maintain them like any other car and sure you got to put the money into them but if you buy correctly you do have, you know, as a car, you have a reasonably good investment. So this nine this the the nine four four when you bought it though, I'm interested to know the, the process if you can if you can remember back, Bernard. You know, you're twenty two years old, you're getting it from a wholesaler, you know, he's a friend of your father's, so there's some trust there. You know, do you remember at the time, you know, wanting to check the car out in any way or doing any sort of inspections or getting anything done <laughs> on the car, or you just you know, I like this question, well, or did you just put your faith in the friendship between this guy and your father?
1: It was definitely the latter. Now, now, look, I, and even, and when I talk about my current 911 Carrera purchase, it was a very different story because now I know about a PPI and what to look for, but there was a lot of trust. And given this wholesaler is a mechanic, he showed, he, he basically put his, I shouldn't say put his life on it, but he really assured us, there's nothing wrong with the car. And, Look, he was right. There wasn't anything wrong, but I didn't buy it straight away. I remember it was September '05. Actually, the car came up for sale. <coughs> Excuse me. I went to look at it with my dad, and the guy wanted about forty thousand, and he wasn't negotiable. And I said, "No, that was too much." And my dad said, "Yes, that's too much." And then through a bit of time, I think it was around November, late November, he finally agreed. Okay, how about thirty seven five hundred? And good thing was the car was never listed on the market. So no one else knew about it except us and the wholesaler. And the wholesaler really wanted, I guess, our family to have it. So in the end, by mid-December, I remember, went down to the Gold Coast where the car was and bought it. And I'll tell you something funny, Michael. It still had the original Porsche Albion sticker. So they were the predecessor dealership to Austral Motors. And it even had the... I guess if for the Queenslanders out there, had the really old, ugly green and white rego plates. And, you know, back then it was all the plates were A, B, C, D. So yeah, this was an yeah. a, a plate because it was a 1989 cast. that so it was that original. Right. So it was, it, it was unbelievable. It had a sunroof too. So this, I think, the original. Sorry, Bernard. Only,
0: was it manual? Yeah. Was it manual or auto? It was.
1: It was. And yeah, it was a manual. It was manual. All the S2s and turbos were manual back then. So oh, were they? So had a okay. very heavy clutch. So I remember, I to, and the most annoying thing was the handbrake was on the right-hand side up near the the, oh, the, right. the, the chair. So it was yes, a very yes. difficult car to drive. So um, in that respect.
0: I don't know much about 944s, but I have to say I, I do look at them. I look at them when they come mm-hmm. up on car sales, and I look at them in the UK here as well. And I noticed, I also look at 968s, and I noticed that, Waterhouse Hamilton at the moment, I don't know whether you go onto their website in Sydney, who's, who service my Porsche mm. in Sydney, they've got a 968 for sale at the moment, a white 968 uh, in manual, which is actually looks like a really nice car as well, a really well-sorted car. I think yeah. that's about 70,000 you know that's 70000 yeah. but that's just a 968 so the 944 s2 is for sale for mm. around 80 you said right so that seems about actually 90 they are 90. 90
1: for it, yes
0: i guess that seems about right for this for this time you know what i mean for such a low kilometer yeah. and and not that many owner example you know it's are you tempted to buy it then are you tempted to take it back
1: look i'll be honest with you i think in this market i would probably spend 90 grand on something else maybe another 911 to add. I think I think my time with the 944 was done, but just before I go off the topic of of the 944-968, there was a card a little bit before this one for my father. Now, if you talk 968, 968 Cabriolet. Now, if for, I did a lot of research for my dad in 03 because there was a dealership called Brisbane Prestige Cars in the Fortitude Valley. They were not like a Dutton or a classic throttle shop, but they did a lot of late model trade-ins from BMW, Mercedes, Lexus, et cetera, et cetera. So in January 03, they had a 968 Cabriolet with about 50 thousand Ks in Guards Red. Now, I had to admit, I loved it. I fell in love with it straight away. I told my dad, buy this car. And it was for sale for about six months, and I called Porsche, got a bit of research. There's only 13 were ever delivered to Australia. Again, for the historians out there, 92, 93 was the recession we had to have, if you remember that, Michael, from Paul Keating's famous words. So there were not that many around, and this car came up, and my dad was a bit, oh, okay, don't know, don't know. Then we called in June, and like anything, it sold, and I think my dad says that was the one that got away because now that car, he bought an SLK Mercedes instead for the same price, a four-year-old one, which he sold for about $8,000 three years ago. (laughs) So he learned his lesson. But I I love talking about the 968 because actually the Cabriolet 968 was the one I actually fell in love with and as an affordable Porsche, which I could never get back because there's only 13 in Australia.
0: Well, I'll bring that up again because Order House Hamilton have two nine six eights at the moment. Uh, they have two nine six eights. They have two manuals. One of them is a cabriolet, and one of them is a hardtop. Uh, and I have a funny feeling from the stamps in the book that they're from the same owner because they've been serviced <laughs> by the same place. So I think this owner, because it said with the white one, uh, not the cabriolet, the other, the hardtop. It said mm. that uh, it was a collector, you know, out of someone's collection. Um, so, and I think both of them are, so they've actually got a Cabriolet at the moment there as well. I think the manual Cabriolet is about 10 grand less than the hard top. I think, I think, but it's a nice, it's, you know, it's a nice looking shape. Let's just go back to your experience though, because all the listeners like to know the experience. How was it as a 22 year old? Take your mind back. How was it when you picked that car up and you started to drive the car around, around Brisbane? How did it feel?
1: Look, it was, it was surreal, I'll admit, but I think because it wasn't like a, a flashy Boxster or Cayman at the time, everyone knew it had a few years on it. So it was a kind of car, I think, Michael, that if you're a Porsche guy, you, you knew what it was. And yeah, look, I remember I started work that year at Coopers, and I didn't tell anyone about the car because I still we had still had the, the runaround Honda CRV, which I would take out the clients. But then a friend of mine who knew a guy. It's a pretty flashy car for a twenty two year old though.
0: It was, yes.
1: <laughs> but I think what it was is that it's a car that as a young person who would probably be into something a bit newer. I think I think at the time that it was a WRX or a Golf GTI Mark V was what you had if you were in inverted com as a a rich kid if you like. Which I certainly wasn't by the way. But I think as this is a very unique car. So but what I, I will tell you what I did learn and I have picked it up again today with a 911, is that driving a Porsche around, there's a certain culture, if that's the right word, you buy into. Because I noticed when I would pull up next to a, a 911, an old one, or a 928 when I did see them, or even a Boxster, you get the thumbs up and that, I guess, acknowledgement, which, and I've owned other cars since where it doesn't really exist. And I think that was when I realized buying a Porsche was more than a car. It was a culture. Yes, it gets a bad reputation yep. for the people, but actually the people I met through the Porsche Club were just like you and I. They loved their cars. They worked hard for them and yeah. they love nothing more than talking about it. And I actually learned that as a 22-year-old, there's a culture you buy into with Porsche.
0: Yeah, I think... I think the misconception is that people think that everyone that owns Porsches are either old or they're really wealthy or they, you know, sometimes, no offense to anyone listening, but this is just what I, I think is a general, it used to be the general sort of feeling. Or they have no, they don't really have much taste, so they just buy a 911. Do you know what I mean? It's a bit boring or it's a bit flashy. Um, but, you know, that's, that's also wrong. And like you said, the community and, you know, the community and the passion is so strong in Porsche and like you know, people that have bought their first 911, other people that have been on Owner Stories, Bernard, who, you know, who, is, who are like, they're a little bit surprised by how friendly everyone is when they go to a Cars and Coffee or they go to a Porsche meetup or they go to a Porsche Club event, you know, uh, you know, in the UK or in the US or in Australia and and how the community is, is, is so great. Um, I think it's a great thing. So when you owned the 944, were there anything, uh, you know, for someone that's looking at buying a 944 today... Was there anything that stood out as an issue with the car that's something you have to watch out for? Was there any sort of serious, you know, mechanical issues or, 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 or flaws with the car?
1: Look, I'll go on, go out on a limb and say it was really a car I used very sparingly, so it was far from a daily driver, so I didn't experience anything catastrophic. The only thing I, I was aware of from day one of the 944 S2 were the balance shaft which was a fairly big job so they were due I think about 18 months after I purchased it and back in 2007 it was a $2,000 job at a specialist at the time called T&D Automotive who I believe have changed their name now since so it's probably they're like the auto house of Brisbane if you like so I'd say in what. 14 years later, it's probably going to be double the price. But I know that of 944, they were the most important repair to do was that. But I think, to be honest with you, Michael, when they were 16 years old in 2005, a lot of the S2s were rubbish. They were trash. They weren't well looked after. And I'd hate to think now as a 30-year-old, 32-year-old car, are there many good ones left? I'd say probably not, except for this one, um, that I used to own, which is asking 90 grand. But I think the one thing I learned about owning not just this 944, but I'm sure you'll resonate with a 911 or you buy a Jaguar E-Type, my dad's all-time favorite car. You buy it the best one you can afford because you pay. say you pay 90 grand or 80 grand for this one for sale, you probably may not have to spend that much money, whereas you buy one, even the worst ones now are still 30 odd grand. You may put in 20 grand to it and you still got a car which has got 250,000 Ks and is still not in the same condition as one with 20. So I guess for listeners out there, I learned that as a young fella and I still apply that theory today. And I try and tell people when looking for cars, doesn't matter what you're buying, be it a Toyota Corolla or be it a Mercedes-Benz or a Porsche, buy the best you can afford because it pays back in time.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're right. You know, 944s are probably half the price of the one that you used to own. They're probably around 35 to 45, right? For some, for ones that need a bit of work and could have rust mm. and could have mechanical issues. So, you know, if you have the money and you can afford it, yeah, of course, it's a great one to buy because it, it obviously will be a well sorted car. Okay. So you've enjoyed the 944. You enjoyed that for a few years. What comes after the 944?
1: So, Michael, I, so I built my house. It was a big commitment at the time as a, I was, what, 25 years old, 20, turning 26. No, oh, 26, sorry. And then I went cold turkey, if that's the right expression to use. I had my dad's Mercedes SLK to, to use. But because I commuted by by train every day, I didn't really need a car at all, really, during the week. So after that, my, my next, I suppose, serious car, because I did a lot of work, outside my, uh, my, my own job with uh, professional teaching, if you like to, you know, second string to your rice bowl, as my dad would say. I bought a, a Mark Six Golf GTI. Now that, as you, you record, GTIs were a real cult following. I, I loved that car. I had it for about three and a half years. And then I went down the BMW road now I'm not I'm not sure if you agree or not I've always felt BMW is a bit of a poor man's Porsche they embody a lot of the ethos mm. of what Porsche do but at a much less lesser price but obviously there is no substitute for a Porsche I'm not sure if you agree Michael but how how do you feel about BMW No
0: I think I think it's a, a BMW and BMW and Audi actually I mean, BMW and Audi in Australia and in other countries, I mean, obviously they compete with each other. You know, BMW was the number one and then Audi started, you know, selling more and more cars and they started to outsell BMW, I think, at one point there. I mean, I've owned two Audis, but I think I think it's a it's a lead into Porsche. I think, you know, people who have, people who normally end up with a 911 or a Porsche of any type have actually gone through the, either the GTI, like you said, or the, you you know, or the BMW, whether it be a you know a standard M BMW or an M2 or you know things like that, or an old M3, you know, uh, or an Audi, like an S Audi, an S5 or an S4, or S3 or something, and then they get into Porsche. I think it's I think it's about the passion. I think it's it's a similarity, like they're, they're drivers' cars. You know what I mean? And in the mm-hmm. UK, when I speak to people in the UK, you know, depending on their age group. Um, you know, like Simon, the other day, who was on owner stories had the RS 2000, he had a UR Quattro, you know, like all these cars, which are driver's cars. Um, and I think that's where it all sort of starts from. So you, you, you get the taste for it. Um, and I remember, you know, Steve, who's on the podcast with me, he said, you know, once you buy a 911, you'll stop looking at other cars. You know, you won't look at BMWs or Audis anymore. You'll stop. And it's true. You do stop. You know what I mean? You might look higher up. You might look at Ferraris or you might look at McLarens or you might just look at them and see what they sell for. But you sort of stop looking at other cars. As good as an M2 is or as good as an M3 is or, a, you know, an Audi is, it, it, you sort of stop looking. I mean, that's how I kind of see it. Um, so you enjoyed the BMWs. So you had a couple of M cars and then you
1: went to the 911. So I had an M140, which is the M light. That was a oh yeah, still probably car. my... My, my, my most favorite car yeah. in, in the set not well haven't had the 911 long enough yet yeah. but I loved that car because it was back to the Golf GTI sort of formula but with rear wheel drive straight six and it was just an absolute menace in a straight line yes and then like everyone and even growing up as a kid turning back the clock 911 was the poster car but an M3 was sort of I hate to say it this way, by by no disrespect to M3s, it was always a bit of a second prize, but it's a pretty good second prize, and I... Um, got an M3 in 2019, and there's a little bit of a Porsche U-turn detour. At the time, I was looking at a 997 Series 2 Carrera S at okay. Porsche Parramatta with about 24,000 Ks, but right. it was probably more than I wanted to spend. They, want, they were willing to sell it to me for about 139000 It was a dark blue with a beautiful Savannah interior, right. and I kicked myself till today that I just did not – Pull out the money. 997 point one, two. series two. Point two. That's wow, cheap. That's cheap. In 2019, it was exactly two years to today, I recall, because I was talking to them and I decided not to go ahead. And I got the M3 because, you know, I thought I had a, I love the 140. and M3 has to be better because it's an M car. So I got a really great deal on it and I bought a San Marino Blue M3 competition pure, they call it, with okay. um, with all the kit. But I'll tell people, and I tell a lot of my friends this, it was a disappointment, the M3, and uh, people rave about them. And I respect people who say that, but it didn't do it for me for two reasons. Number one, the ride was atrocious. It's so firm. And in Brisbane, where I live, the roads are very rough as 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 they are being being in the inner city and the steering was very heavy as well and it just i didn't have the same connection to that car like it did the 140 so right if, if i'm going to summarize the ownership experience sorry but was it a four-door or two-door bm four-door so it's the m3 it's an, it was one of the very last oh, three. sorry the, sorry one,
0: m3 yeah. latest one okay yeah
1: Correct. It was an F80 or the just superseded. So look, okay, I'll say okay. it was sexy as to look at. I just, every time I looked at it, I went, wow, this is just sexy as, but it's a bit of, you know, dating a supermodel or meeting your hero. It just wasn't all for me personally, it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. So I, but you know, I was happy to hold it because of the old, oh, I can tell people I've got an M3, but then I suppose, yeah, I was always thinking to myself, I really should have dug deeper and bought that 9972 for 139 and then they'll have to do all the rest of the deal in, um, in Queensland. But that was, yeah, that was a dark blue car, which um, yeah. I, I regret till today.
0: Yeah, and the M3 competition is an expensive purchase. It's not a cheap car.
1: No, and that's probably – look, I don't know. I, I traded my 140 in, and I think it's okay. because – how do I put it? And I look, a lot of people may disagree with me and that's fine, but I just don't think the M3 was twice as good as the 140 even though it was twice the price. and I and I still tell people that today it is not twice as good. That's the bottom line in my opinion. Okay.
0: So you didn't buy the, you didn't buy the 997. Was it because it was just easy to trade the BM onto, into an, onto another BM? Was it because of the process was a lot easier than having to buy a car in Sydney and organize that? was was that part of the thinking or was it just about the car?
1: It was a bit of both, and I think at the time M3s were being sold at a, a run-out price, so it would have cost me, or look, once you do the changeover, because at the time uh, they were not going to give me a lot for the car, I think it would have been probably another 30 plus thousand dollars which, right. you know, look, it is, is, is it a lot of money? Yes and no. For a 997.2, of course, with the benefit of hindsight, it probably wasn't. But at the time, it was not something I was prepared to spend. But, you know, we 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 live and learn. So, yeah, yeah that, was the, that was the experience. But I really fell in love with the 911 again, if you like. And I did a lot of research and realized if I'm going to buy a 911, it's either a 997.2 or a 991.1.
0: Okay so let's let's get into that let's get into where it goes next. Um it's interesting on hindsight isn't it? I mean you look at the 997.2 and you know that today if you would have bought that car you wouldn't have really you wouldn't have lost money on that car. That's for sure because they are very very sought after. So you are back into the 911 you you've you've experienced the M3, the competition, you know a great you know a great car for a lot of people. I mean I actually like the new one. Everyone hates it but I actually don't I actually <laughs> don't dislike the new one. Um and um so so you think okay i want a porsche again i want to get into a 911 so when did you start looking for your current car and the listeners will know what you own because it's in the in the um title of this podcast but what did you what was the process and and where did you start looking and did you buy the first car you found or did it take a while to find the car you currently own (laughs)
1: look uh it's a very interesting story like most others, but I ha- actually did not go out looking for the 911 immediately. How it all happened was with the M3, I was probably around Christmas, I was in that bit of holiday mode, not that, I really, not that I had a holiday, I was working through, but I was a bit more relaxed. I was thinking, what do I want to do with this car? Because as you know, the used car market was just going bananas. It was soaring like no tomorrow yeah. and the bmw dealer was calling me quite you know we, we, we spoke quite a bit because i'm quite close to them i've done a lot of referrals to them so they talk quite often and they said what do you want to do with your m3 i said i don't really know but then little did i know they actually had somebody wanting the car because there weren't many for salabini and mine had very low mileage it was in great condition and it was a very late model with uh in that awesome San Marino blue. So it was about late January. I decided, you know what, I'm just going to give it to them, see if they can sell it. It was on consignment actually with them. And I decided, okay, a bit like selling your house. Not that I've ever sold a house, but it's a bit like selling a house, sell it to the highest bidder. And in this crazy market, it sold in two days. And they actually contacted a This real estate agent who bought it. So all of a sudden, I was like, "Okay, what do I do now?" Because I basically didn't lose any money on the M three, and okay, so what's what's next? So this is a funny thing. I didn't look at a nine eleven straight away. I got a little bit distracted by a C sixty three Mercedes, and the reason is because oh, it's the last of the V eight, and it's the last of this, and I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. But then I. Slept on it overnight. I actually went to Mercedes, looked at one, and I actually said to myself, they're not that special. They don't look as good as the M3. And I'm just going sideways. Am I not? Because I depreciation, had an m
0: Depreciation, Bernard.
1: <laughs> Thanks you for know, reminding me. You should me. know
0: that as an accountant. There's depreciation on the, the C63. Yes. They just, they die big time.
1: Correct. And I think I was just, I was getting emotional, like, as I don't usually, I'm emo- I use my head, not my heart. But The emotion kicked and I said, am I actually going to be happy with a C63? And then I said, no, if I'm going to buy something, it must be a 911. So I I looked around. There was a couple of cars in earlier this year. So there was one yellow car, which was fully decked out, a Carrera S. Now, that one didn't go through because the owner at the time was probably being a little bit difficult doing a PPI because they lived on the North Shore. And here's an interesting fact, which actually ended up with my own 911 doing a PPI. So as you know, that's the best insurance policy possible. So I thought, okay, the car was sold, sorry, serviced. this particular car was serviced by Porsche Willoughby. So I called Willoughby. I right. said, can you arrange a PPI? They said, no, I didn't realize they changed their policy recently. They don't do PPIs for cars more than three years old. So I was really? like, really? Yeah, that's a fact. And that's then, strange. And then I, I told the vendor, can you call them because you obviously know them? Maybe they'll make an exception for you. And same story. So unfortunately that okay. didn't go through because I told them, okay, well, why won't they won't do it for whatever reason? So Willoughby just flat out won't do it. So and plus I said Porsche Sydney South actually would. But he refused to do that without wanting more money because of the time it takes to go from the North Shore to Porsche Sydney South. And I said, I'm not going to get a mobile mechanic, no disrespect, to look at the car because when you're transacting a car like that, you want Porsche. Okay. So that one didn't go ahead. But then life is interesting. I actually had a business associate contact me and said actually he was aware of a particular 911 that's about to come on for sale this was literally about a week after I killed the yellow car off it wasn't now actually Michael I don't know how many you've seen is this my current car this is the one it's an anthracite brown 911 Carrera yep. and I said okay what's never heard of that color so I googled it and I said oh wow that looks pretty cool but little did I know this car had just about for, for, a, for a base model Carrera, the, the previous owner went crazy on the options. They did the two-tone extended leather interior. So it's got the black dash with the Savannah or um, yeah. Luxor beige. I think it's called when I looked at the brochure had PASM it, didn't have the sports exhaust, unfortunately, but it had the, the full sunroof, the folding mirrors, the bows. I don't know if the bows was an option. I don't think it was, but it could have been. And it also had the bigger, no, nice 20-inch.
0: Okay. I think the Bose is so, an option.
1: Yeah. Okay. And it had the 20-inch Carrera Classic wheels. So, okay, this is pretty, pretty impressive spec. And I did a PPI on that. And again, this car was actually sold by Willoughby brand new. It was serviced by Porsche Willoughby. And when I asked this business associate who I think it was their friend's car, I said, can you get them to do a PPI? So they called Willoughby. Same story. We don't do PPIs on cars okay. less than three years old.
0: Let me just interrupt for a second. So for the listeners who are not from Australia, Porsche Willoughby, Porsche Sydney and Porsche Parramatta are the three main dealers in Sydney, um, Porsche you know, dealers. Um, so it seems like Porsche Willoughby <coughs> have decided that they don't want to do PPIs on old cars, but Porsche Sydney would do it. Is that correct? The people listening yeah. from Australia? Look, was...
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so what, what I understand, Michael, yep, sorry, go on. No, I
0: just want to go back to the car, the choice of the car. So the first car you looked at was a yellow one. Was it Speed Yellow?
1: Correct. Yes. Oh, Racing Yellow. Sorry, it's Racing yellow. Racing Yellow.
0: <laughs> Even better.
1: And I think this, but this particular Carrera S. Now, I guess i was a little, a little bit skeptical because who buys a yellow car except the press car? And it had, again, had every option. It had the carbon ceramic brakes. It had the yellow inserts. It had. Just about every option you can think of and had the ducktail spoiler, I think it's called. All right. So, so it's it very, all,
0: very well optioned. Very, very well It was well a one optioned. of a kind. And that was a and Carrera
1: think, S? Correct. It was a 2012. So, it was an early 991. And I think the vendor told me they bought that car used from, I think, Porsche Tasmania. If they have okay. it, didn't they, they, I think it's an agent, not a dealer as such. But I think they said Porsche Australia was the original owner. They used oh, it as okay. a... Motor, if you want, motor show car or launch car. But when I hear those words, I was a bit, oh, was this one of those journo cars that get absolutely well, yeah. flogged? Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I would be thinking as well. So, okay, I'm interested because you're searching for a 911. The first one you find mm. is yellow, racing mm-hmm. yellow. The next one you find, and you've just told the listeners, it's anthracite brown. Now, I, I do know this color and I think... You say brown nine nine one, and people sort of screw their face up a little bit. But anthracite brown is a is a very interesting color, and I have seen the color. I saw one for sale. I think it was in Porsche Sydney a couple of years ago, um, and it's it's kind of looks in some lights it looks brown, in some lights it looks grey, doesn't it? It doesn't always. It's not. It's not like the old air cooled browns. It's a completely different color. Mm. Um, but is it, was it something that you were wanting? Were you, were you wanting – because you've had the great color in the M3 competition. You had that blue, mm. which is a beautiful blue. Were you wanting something that was a little bit different color-wise? You didn't want the normal silver, the black, the white –
1: well, it's funny you say that, Michael, because the, the wholesaler who sold me the Yes 944 being a car dealer, he always told us, because we were all car people, my dad and I, when you're buying a used car, you don't have a choice, really. You have to buy the condition and the owner. The color is just, well, you love it, you love it, if you unless you really hate it. But if you can live with it, then live with it because you don't have a choice. And I adopted that thinking because when I was looking at 911s, and I will say there was a couple in between the yellow car and the anthracite brown. There was another one in, I think it was somewhere in Point Piper was for sale, but it sold when I called. That was a really only 20,000 Ks. I think from memory, it was a dark blue or black car. And then what I, and I, I noticed that nine. When I was going through this process, Michael, I realized that 991.1 must be quite sought after. So I knew I was onto a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, but yeah, the anthracite brown, I'd never heard of it. And again, you're right. It looks like a gate gray. Actually, that's what most people would think when they see it for the first time. It's only yes. when you get it in the sun or the light, you can see the, the bronze or brown, but at night you think it's gray or maybe yeah. not quite yeah. black, but gunmetal gray.
0: It's an interesting colour, and I think, you know, um, I'll get you to tell the listeners more about your car in a second, but, you know, if if you go to Bernard's Instagram, it's, um, what is it again, Uh, at EBITDA, is it, (laughs) EBITDA underscore 911,
1: EBITDA, EBITDA. 9-11. 9-11. So for the finance accountants out there, you'll know what that term is. And they're my plate. So yes, that's the Instagram handle for myself.
0: Yeah. So go to Bernard's Instagram, give him a follow and tell him you heard his story on owner stories. And he's got images of his car on there. So you can check it out. You know, I'm a big, I'm, I've never been a big fan of two-tone um, interiors on 911s in new 9 and And that's changed, I think, after being in Bahrain and living in Bahrain, where a lot of the cars were two-tone. They were either red and black you know beige and black you know a lot of the a lot of the Porsches there have two tone interiors it's quite popular with Middle Eastern um, Porsche owners and I noticed your car has that two tone interior and I have to say it looks it it looks really good and I think it it just adds something more to the car and I think it's quite nice how it's two tone it's not just black with that color and it works it does actually work really well was that something that when you first saw it you were keen on or you were not so sure about
1: To be honest with you, it was like, oh, that looks nice. But then I actually contacted Porsche Australia. Now, Porsche Australia, they have a great, if you want to call it archival historian group that can look up a VIN number and tell you about it. And they listed every option this car had and the original price. I actually my jaw dropped to the ground when I realized how much that interior was at the time, it was nine and a half thousand dollars to get the two tone with extended leather. And I can understand because I think they have to do two leather in two colors. I was like, are you serious? I wouldn't have paid that myself brand new. I would have done the Porsche sports exhaust, but this person did it, and I'm glad they did it because I don't think they made money when they sold it. <laughs> so what what were
0: the key options then? Let's just tell the listeners again, the key options on your car, the interior was obviously a very expensive one. What were the other key options? It's a manual car or it's a PDK car?
1: Uh, PDK, so that was an option too. It yep. has the the bigger glass sunroof, not the smaller one, but I think most of them had yes. sunroofs, actually. It had the 20-inch Carrera Classic wheels. I actually noticed a lot of boxers and Caymans get around with those as well. Classic uh, they wheels. Were, yeah, oh, Carrera yes, yes, Classic.
0: Yes. I'm looking at your Instagram now. Yeah, they're nice wheels. I like those with the grey sort of in the, in the grooves, yeah?
1: Correct. Yep. Uh, also had uh, folding mirrors, had uh, rear sensors, had PASM as well. So PASM was an option because it's a base model Carrera. Yep. And I think, uh, look, to be honest with you, I think the other only the other one was some minor stuff like the carpet had, what do they call it? I'm trying to think what it's called now, like a uh, something carpet was $1,000. I'm like, I looked at them going, really? it just looks like normal floor mats. I don't understand what that is. Oh, okay. And other than that, they were the main options actually. So for a base model Carrera, it was highly Quite highly spec, and but interestingly, Porsche don't charge for metallic paint. I think because when I've got it, because Anthracite brand is a non-solid color, it doesn't look like it cost anything extra. So maybe okay. for the listeners out there, they might be able to tell me otherwise. But yeah, it's a it was a pretty unique spec, and interesting about on the color. I actually asked Porsche Brisbane when I got the car, have you ever sold one new? They said they have never sold an anthracite brown car because I did a bit of reading up on one of those Porsche America, they go through every color and it's rarity. It only was around for 991.1 and came in and boxed for that 2013, 2016. So it was a very short time. And I think in Australia, like you're right, I know there's, I believe there's another one in Sydney. I know Willoughby told me when I went to see the dealership uh, during a visit, they sold the gentleman, the sales guy. there sold a caiman in that color. He said, "But I would say in Australia, there's probably less than maybe half a dozen." But if you're if you're listening and you're from Australia, you have yeah. you have one or no one. Please let me know. I
0: could be getting confused. You know, I could have seen it in. I, I could have actually saw it in Bahrain. That color in <laughs> that color in the Middle East is very very yeah. popular. Browns, oh, really? browns, yeah. golds. You know, those sort of colors are very very popular. They usually have you know two tone interior i've seen them you know i've seen you know brown uh, porsches in bahrain with red and black interiors mm. you know they they're very popular colors in in the middle east um so how was the ppi then you'd got a ppi done on the car before you purchased it did anything show up on the car that you thought you know i need to talk about this a bit further or was everything okay
1: look and as, as, as this is a really great story because i had never done a ppi before obviously the s2 was bought on trust and a bit of blind faith. And every other car after that was a brand new car. So very new experience. And I will comment here. And if anyone from Porsche, Sydney South is listening, you guys are 11 out of 10, your service. They won't be listening, (laughs) (laughs) Bernhardt. But for anyone who has ever dealt with them, they, and I'm a out of towner, they were just so good, so professional, and they were very reasonably priced. It was four hundred and ninety-five dollars for a PPI, which they kept the car overnight as well to do a cold start test of all things. And I'll con- contrast it. I know Auto House, when I checked them out, they wanted about 695. And they don't do a cold start test from what I gathered, because you can only do it first thing in the morning. But Porsche Sydney South, they looked at it and they were nothing came out of it actually that was a Anything like a deal breaker, they picked up things like a stone chip on a guard. They noticed that one of the air vent parts were missing. So, okay, have to order that in. So, they were so comprehensive. And I didn't do, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, there is a test you do to tell if the car's been tracked. I think it's the bore test or whatever it's called, the bore or score, whatever it is, or over rev, sorry, I think yeah, it's over- linked.
0: Mm, compression test. I mean, over revs yeah. is normally, normally a PPI should have an over rev test. I mean, my Correct. PPI had it on my, when Autohouse did my 997 uh, PPI, but it wasn't 600. It was, and that was going back, you know, it's four years now. So it was probably about 400 odd. Um, okay. But they do an over rev test and it just shows you if it's, you know, and everything is normally, um, with mine, everything was okay.
1: Yeah. And, and, and so was this. So obviously I was told the next step is if it doesn't pass the over rev test, they recommend you do that, other compression or bore, okay. whatever that is, which was another three hundred dollars. But you know, lucky for me being the uh, the guy that counts the money, they it didn't need that because it never been on a track from what they said. And so, look, it, it went, it passed with flying colors. The PPI, and given it was always service from new from Porsche Willoughby, and I'm very pedantic about. I I know that some cars they may miss a year of service if they've had low mileage, but this car was every year from 2014 till last year, okay. was always done at Willoughby in May, the month of May.
0: Fantastic, fantastic. So someone that's really, you know, been regimented and looking after the car. So how do you get it back to Queensland? Do you drive it back? Do you ship it back? Is it trucked back?
1: <laughs> it was actually trucked back. So uh, I organised the transport for that and it took a bit of time. I think how they want to do it is to save the money. They want to try and piggyback off other transports. So from the time I put the hard-earned dough over to getting the car it was probably about close to eight to nine days and I remember I think it was quite rainy in both Sydney and Brisbane in in February when I got it so the car was I, I, I won't say it's filthy because it, it wasn't it was just very it was you know obviously needed a good wash so I did that and I remember attaching my personalized plates of the car for the first time using uh, what was a double-sided tape that's a bit of an experience as well because I've never done that before. Because I don't want to drill holes in a 911.
0: Yeah, true. So the car arrives. The car arrives into Brisbane. You get it. It's got the plates on. It's ready to go. How was it when you went out on that first drive? And you're in the 911. It's not your first Porsche, but it's your first 911. Tell the listeners mm. how, how the feeling was having this car at last.
1: <laughs> so, look, it was, again, I won't say it's surreal because I don't want to undersell it. But I guess it's, how do I put it? It was exciting, don't get me wrong, but I still feel till today, and maybe it's a bit like how a lot of multimillionaires talk. They say the first million is always the hardest to make. <laughs> I felt I felt that the most satisfying car I've ever owned was probably the Golf GTI because I really bought that after my my big house and other purchases. Right, right. And that was the one I felt, wow, I, it felt really good to buy a Golf GTI. And, you know, obviously that was 10 years ago. And now a 911 is also another milestone. And I think it's probably sunk in today that it's quite special, but it um, it didn't quite have the same feeling. And I know people will find that a bit weird. And But then again, when I bought the M3, I didn't have that, wow, this is a big moment in my life as well. I think it's just you know, it takes time and I think the nine eleven has sunk in now. But to come back to your point, I remember that you'll laugh because I took my dad in for a drive on the first time and my dad being a practical man, he's like, okay, I think we better go and check the tyre pressures because they're probably quite low. So we went to the service station around the corner from, from us and and did that. But on the way, I passed the school actually, and I think one of the dads gave me a thumbs up. I thought that was pretty cool. That was quite a, a good introduction to the experience. And, yeah, that was really the first day of ownership. I, I went to pump the tyres up. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's those little things, isn't it? So you've had the car now for about three months, right? You, bought, you picked mm-hmm. it up in February, so you've had it for three months. What are, you, what are you planning? Are you planning to upgrade anything? Are you planning to add that sound to it? Are you planning to do an exhaust? I mean, there's great exhaust options out there for the yeah. 991. I, I, someone that was on Owner's Stories previously with a Boxster, Stephen, uh, from Sydney, he just actually got the PSC exhaust fitted by Porsche in Sydney on his, um, on his Boxster. And apparently it's fantastic. Would you do that? Would you get it retrofitted by Porsche? Would you spend the money on something like that?
1: <laughs> well, I didn't actually realize until now you could actually do such a thing. So that would be a really good uh, good feature to have. I'd definitely love to do that. Uh, but what I did do a month ago, actually, or three weeks ago, I did a, what's it called a graphene serum coating, ceramic coating. It's the new thing. And it just really brought the car back to a better-than-new condition. Obviously, I think when I picked it up, there was a few swirl marks here and there, but I took it to Solar Style at Cooparoo in Brisbane, who are probably the, if you like, they're the the leader in ceramic coating in in Brisbane. They do a lot of the top-end Ferrari, Maseratis, but they do everything from run-of-the-mill Mazdas and Hondas as well. But they did my old M3 really good job Optico, coat, but I went to this new product, which is supposed to be the, the cutting edge. And that's the only thing I've done so far. So again, this is more of an aesthetic thing. But other than that, I probably look, I'm a bit of a purist. I, w- I won't change anything. I don't really want to track the car because it is, you know, quite a special toy. So, but I think the PSE actually would probably be the only thing I, I would do. But not not right
0: now. Yeah, no, of course, because it's not, you know, I know the cost of it and, and Stephen told me the yeah. cost that it costs for his um, Boxster and it's it's expensive. And I remember at the time with my 997, I, I looked at it as well and I I disregarded it. And this is, you know, like I said, this is three years ago and I think it was about five and a half grand then, um, Aussie. Wow. But you do get the little button, you know, you do get the exhaust button. Oh, on right, okay. What, so you get the button. So like I said, yeah. Stephen, who was on Owner Stories with his red uh, Boxster manual 981, he fitted it just – the other week last week I think it was or the other week Um, and he said it's fantastic so I think that's a good you know if you want to keep it quite pure and and OEM that's probably a good thing to do I mean like I said there's lots of other exhausts you can do for uh, the 991 from you know companies like Sharkworks and and things like that in the UK uh, in the US Um, fab speed a lot of people put fab speed exhausts on it but there's nothing wrong with the bass sound you know what I mean um, I think the 991s sound better without the sports exhaust than say a base 997. Um, I think the base 997 is a little bit soft, um, doesn't have that throatiness. I think the 991s do sound better in general. So y- you're enjoying 911 ownership. You've had it, you know. You've only you've only had it for three months. Um, you live in a place where there's plenty of great roads as well. So you've got you've got plenty of journeys to do. I'm sure around Brisbane. Uh, what was I going to say? What about? Um, if someone comes to let's let's just get on to, to the roads because I want to talk about a couple of other things with you and and I like to keep this podcast to about an hour and we've we've already gone over an hour but that's okay. So if someone's coming to Queensland, coming to Brisbane. What are the best roads to uh, take your nine eleven or take your sports car on?
1: So look, I I have to say in Brisbane there's always a problem actually because our cops traffic cops if you like are always out on the road i know you have ways these days but in not too far from where where i am there's mount coother which is sort of a mountain road it's not very long but it's pretty fun you've also got mount glorious which a lot of motorbikes go on but also a lot of cop bait if you like but i know i've never done it myself but i've had friends who go between brisbane and the gold coast there's the mount Um, sort of through the Gold Coast hinterland there's some great roads but there is one I do remember now that I probably the most enjoyable one was about three years ago when I had the BMW M140 that the dealer did a drive day with their customers and took us out through the Sunshine Coast through the back of Mullaney so I don't know if you know the Sun Mullaney well but probably one of the most beautiful one of the most beautiful parts of Queensland it's sort of away from the beaches but it's very country very cottage like area Uh, so that was probably the best road I've ever been on. So through the back of Mullaney in, in the Sunshine Coast, is is great. And I and one, and one thing I do want to say about nine eleven ownership, Michael, before we wrap it up, I actually had the experience today because I took the car out in this beautiful weather we have in Brisbane in May this afternoon. And I was going home and a Volvo XC90 pulled up next to me and the mother was saying something to me in the front seat. And I didn't know if she was going to say something rude being a Porsche owner, (laughs) but I I wound my window down and she was like, oh, my son loves Porsches. He was probably about seven or eight and her car was full of kids. And I just said, that's great. And if someone like me can afford one, he'll have one one day for sure yeah. and I think it's just those conversations and I guess you and I were a bit older now maybe we were kids once like that admiring them from afar and hopefully we can now if you like start the next generation of Porsche yeah. owners and people like us get that get the juices flowing so I hope today I did that and I gave the car a bit of a at the traffic lights for a bit of entertainment yeah
0: I mean it's nice for kids you know like you know it's it it's something you remember. You know what I mean. Like I've I've done an owner story with, uh with another gentleman uh, who's coming up this week, and he picked up his car and took his son with him, and they drove it, you know, back through the snow from you know back to California. And it's like those sort of things as a kid. You know, those things that you remember. You know what I mean? Those things, and just even seeing a car on the street or someone letting you sit in their car. You know what I mean? Like letting you sit in their Porsche or their Ferrari yeah. is just a great thing to do. Um, I just want to talk about. Actually, I didn't ask you one thing. And, and when you, when the car arrived in in Brisbane, when it arrived home to your house, and you had the PPI done in Sydney, was there anything when it arrived and you looked at looked at it and went, oh, I didn't realise, you know, is, you know, there was was there anything wrong with it? Was there anything that the PPI missed?
1: Look, I think. It, the short answer is no. And again, I can only sing the praise of the Porsche Centre Sydney South, who were just brilliant. There was, they were they they picked up things that I never would have noticed. Like even the wheels, I think they oversprayed a part of it, so they had to, the, the the vendor, if you like, went and fixed it because it had a warranty on it, whatever that meant. But it just meant that unfortunately, the only thing that it did do was I think when they when the tire repair people fixed it, the they oversprayed the tire with a bit of silver paint. So I think the Back wheel still has a bit of silver over some over paint, if you like. Okay, um, but other than that, look, it has swell marks, which you know, I'm very fussy with how I wash a car. I never ever, by the way, when I service a car, I always tell the dealer, never wash it because I yeah. do it myself, and I I'm, always sometimes I'm get that funny look.
0: Yeah, I'm the same, I'm the same. <laughs> but,
1: yeah, so majority of people probably you know, would be happy for them to do it. But I noticed, you know, it had a few swell marks which the paint correction largely fixed, but they were the only things, and look, I think I had a couple of stone chips and I don't know for sure if they were there when I bought it or if I got it on a recent drive to get some, a friend of mine did some photos actually. And I don't know if it's from the road he took me on. So stone chips really uh, break my heart and yeah. I don't know where they came from. So unfortunately that was it, but no, to, to answer your question, no, it was very comprehensive. And again, if you're, but for people who ever won a PPI done in Sydney, uh, Porsche Sydney South, uh, you know, not only are they very reasonably priced, they are just first class. And and I went to visit them and they're just the nicest dealership. But, you know, you've been there, yeah, be yeah. lots of cars, but the people are just just as enthusiastic as I am. Oh,
0: that's great. Fantastic. That's fantastic. I want to tell the listeners, actually, because I've been harping on about this for many, many podcast episodes. I've been I've been saying it to people who have been on Owner Stories, uh, Paul from New Zealand, who actually Imported a 997 GTS in manual into into New Zealand, um, and other people I've been talking to. Um, so Bernard sent me a link on Instagram the other day. No, you actually sent me the images, didn't you? You sent me images from was that Porsche in Brisbane? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So it was Porsche in Brisbane uh, had a 997 GTS in manual and. To everyone who's followed this podcast from the very beginning, they would have heard me say that my, you know, if I could get a 997 GTS in manual, I would actually buy one. Uh, well, they had one in Porsche Brisbane. So when was that? Was just recently, wasn't it, Bernard?
1: Yeah, it was in February. Actually, when I took delivery of my car, they they got it in. So the sales manager there, I asked him a little bit about it because you know I know they're a special car, but they were asking a sky high price because it only had 11,000 Ks. It was a 2011, a manual white, no stereotypical GTS white, and it was $250,000. And all the the sales manager told me was it was a longtime customer of theirs. They always traveled. And I don't know if it's because they retired or they weren't driving a lot or they had too many cars, so they just sold it back to them basically this year. And again, at that price point, it didn't sell in a day or two. It was probably about five weeks. And I know they took delivery about a week and a half ago because i drove past porsche and it was actually in the delivery bay waiting to be picked up so i was like oh there you go someone has seen the two hundred and fifty thousand dollars value in that car
0: well bernard you know like i said i was led to believe they weren't available in pdk so that that point i'm interested in you know i'm interested that there is a Mm. there are manual 997 gtss now maybe this was a one-off car maybe there isn't any more Mm. of them i don't know but you know i think it must be and i'd have to push my memory here i think it was two years ago there was a couple of white 997s for sale in australia and they Mm -hmm. were they were around 180 i think one was at 179 and one it was at 199 and they both had reasonable kilometers and they both sat there for a long time and they're both pdk and they're both white um and i know in the uk i think in the uk and i apologize to the uk listeners if i'm actually got this wrong but i think they're around 70 to seventy thousand pounds in the uk for a 997 GTS. Um, so, 250000 Australian dollars is about 140,000 pounds. It's about, you know, 200... Is it 200,000 US? Something like that. It's about 200,000 US. So it's an expensive car. It's a big purchase. Yeah. But the rarity of it though, Bernard, you know, the rarity of that car and the perfection of that car because it is a very, very good car, the GTS. Um,
1: oh, look, it's it, one of the best ones, isn't it? I think yeah. everything I read says it's, it is the 997.2 to get beyond a RS 4.0 or a GT2 RS.
0: Yes. And, you know, in bearing in mind, you know, if you get a good 997.2 Carrera S in manual, you know, when they come up, which is very, very rarely, and I think one came up recently, and I think they're sitting at around 180. You know, people are trying to get 180.
1: Yeah. I think that car you're talking about, interestingly enough, was also a Brisbane car. It was about 25,000 Ks of black when I saw it. It was, you know, not necessarily something I was going to purchase, but I think it was about 12 months ago or maybe a little bit less than that. I think that was the one you're talking about. So clearly in Brisbane, there's some very nice 911s. I just never see them and I don't know who owns them, but they do
0: exist yeah I mean it seems with Porsches that come up for sale in Australia there's always interesting ones in um, Queensland they're usually Gold Coast and there's always interesting ones from Melbourne in Brighton and I've said this before Brighton in Melbourne and it is an affluent suburb but Brighton Porsche seem to sell a lot of great cars and they always seem to come up and it's a Brighton owner and I see it all the time, you know, all the
1: time. Well, in Rome, Brighton's famous as well for Shane Warne. He's uh, he's a, he's yeah. their most famous resident. Yeah, Warne, exactly. So for the for the cricket fans out there, that's uh, that's his stomping ground. He's yeah. probably the, should be the mayor of Brighton if there ever was one.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's a great story, Bernard. I'd so say you're happy with the you're happy with the nine eleven. You're glad you did. You're glad you did the changeover from BM. Um, the feeling you're getting from this car is a, is a much better feeling than the M3 competition. Then.
1: Oh look, I think. The words, are, I can't overstress it. I think when I was watching a video, Sean Ligo, the general manager of Willoughby, his opening words in the video were, Porsche is the ultimate. There's nothing better. It, it is so true. I think, Michael, you would agree with that. Again, I've never owned a Ferrari or Lamborghini. I probably won't now because I don't know how much better it can be. And I think Porsche just resonates with who I am, my personality. And, you know, from a practical point of view i just you know the m3 was a very rough and raw car not very enjoyable whereas the 911 feels like a limousine in comparison i had a guy tell me that well you're comparing the wrong thing because the m3 is you have got to compare it to a gt3 for the same feel i'm like oh, oh, really? i don't know about that no, <laughs> an m3 just, no yeah. disrespect to an m3 it's no, to me no. it's just a three series but look i think when i sat in it today even it just has that it's like wearing your favorite pair of leather gloves or your favorite leather jacket. It has that feel to it, which no other car does. And you know, I've got my wife's Toyota Corolla. I've got an X3 as well, which I do some of the daily duties in. Deck or both great cars. The Corolla is a great car, the new one. But oh, so you
0: still like have a BM? You still haven't parted with the BMW family?
1: Yeah, it's kind <laughs> of a, it's, it's kind of a car that my dad isn't using, so I'm, I, I get to use it as well because he's got a few cars. So I have the X. It's an old F twenty five twenty. Sorry, yeah, so sorry what I was saying, the X3 is, a you know, just a, a car my dad has, which I use from time to time. And it's a good sort of nice car to have when I want something a bit nicer, but I don't want to take the 911 out. But as I was saying, the M3 is, sorry, the, 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 the 911 is just, it's just like wearing your favorite shoes or jacket. There's nothing better.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. And, you know, the thing about the 911, when, you've been a, when you haven't been when you have driven it for a while and when you haven't been in the car for a while, like when I used to come back to Sydney quite regularly, you know, every couple of months, you know, you, I get into the car and it's that first drive and you realize, you know, how special it is and, and how it makes you feel different to any other car. Um, and, I, and I can't underplay that. Until you own a 911, until you've actually driven one and sat in it and it's your car and you drive it, it is a really, 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 really great feeling. Um, before we go, Bernard, because I don't want to go too long because people uh, like to listen to the podcast being an hour long and it gets too long, they, they switch off very early. Um, people's it's, uh, uh, you know attention span. Um, <clears throat> everyone knows that I have a, a thing for watches. Uh, some people like it, some people don't. I noticed that you sent me some pictures of your, some images of your watches and I have to say I'm a real fan of that Daytona that you have. Uh, Bernard has a Rolex <laughs> Daytona and it's the one that I'm... Um, I'm Always Lusting Over, which is, if you know about watches, it's not the one with the ceramic bezel. I don't know the reference number of that one, but it's a pretty it's nice... It's a, a no- 116520. 116520, that's it. So, have you had that one for a long time? Because that a, that's a beautiful watch.
1: So, that the history of that one was, I got that for my 30th birthday present from my father. So, my father is a massive watch collector. He's got so many mainly Rolex is again he's very much a investment value. Rolex is like Porsche, I think, in the watch world. And Daytona is the ultimate. So I got that for my 30th. I haven't worn it for about two years rather shamelessly because it is a very special piece. I can never I probably have to sell the 911 first before I sold that watch. It's from my father. So that yeah, that's the one. It was it was a pre-ceramic and it's there. Uh, it at the time, they were hard to get, and I didn't realize when I when I wore it two years ago to a function where uh, we're all a bit of watch nerds, it really, yeah, got a lot of attention. Yeah, no,
0: to me, that is, <clears throat> I mean, I'd rather have that one. And I look at them on, on, for people who are into watches, I look at them on Chrono 24 uh, for the ones that come up for sale, and I know how much they, the price they sit at. They're not cheap. Um, but to me that is that is still to me that's the one that for me it's better than a ceramic um, you have the Tudor black bay 58 is that the other one the blue face yes
1: yeah, so i got that earlier this year so it's i'm probably actually now you may think, well, that's pretty um surprising. What I'm going to do with it? I'm actually keeping that one for my nephew. And there, there's a the reason is because there's a thing in my family where my uncle got me my first proper watch, which okay. was a Tag Heuer SEL. If you remember the classic SEL at and center one, I got that from my uncle, so I want to keep a tradition. Oh, that's that's and- good. And unfortunately, Tag Heuer is probably gone by the wayside now. And I thought a Tudor. I had a contact. They said it's a really good watch. Yeah, yeah. I think it. You know, it's not. It's, it doesn't break the bank necessarily, but no. it's still special and it's hard to get to the Black Bay.
0: Yeah, that's a nice thing to do. Tudors are great watches. I mean, I have the Black Bay Bronze. I have the grey twenty nineteen mm. Black Bay Bronze. But I'm also going to get the uh, Black Bay, the silver, the nine two five one because I actually like it. Uh, On the strap, the new one that just came out So I'm on the list to get that, so hopefully it'll come through I notice you also have uh, The GMT Master 2 We'll call it Batman, I don't like using Nicknames for what Rolex is, but we'll call it the Batman, (laughs) so your one is on the Oyster bracelet, I've got the same one but I've Got the um, Jubilee bracelet
1: Ah, oh, okay. Yeah, my, this one I bought a few years ago, and there's a story. I sold a Hulk, actually, because I bought the Hulk for my 30th. And, again, it was a little bit like the M3. I just did not connect with it as much as I should have, and I sold it and basically replaced it with the Batman, which I, I really love. But, of course, with the benefit of hindsight, I sold the Hulk too cheap <laughs> now.
0: You sold it too early, Bernard. Correct. The, price, the prices of the Hulk, for those who are not into watches, the prices of the Hulk, I think, went up, what, 30 when they discontinued it, they probably went up 30-odd percent, didn't they? Something like that.
1: It, yeah, easy. So I think like for like, I think, as you know, Rolex markets like Porsche, they, there's a flavor of the month. I think for a while the Batman was worth more. Now the Hulk's worth more. But at the end of the day, as much as my dad crucified me for it because he's got a Hulk himself, I, I just did not connect with it. I think that it was too green. It just didn't suit my what I wore. But the Batman was a much more you know, suited me better, basically.
0: Yeah, the the Batman, the BLNR is a great watch, a great mm. combination. I mean, I love mine and I love how it's on the Jubilee because I have my Sea Dweller 43 on the Oyster um, and I now have, you know, whenever I bought it late last year, the Explorer two Blackface as well. So... Um, which is a that's great one. That's an amazing watch.
1: collection as well, you've got. Yeah,
0: that's a I really like that Explorer too. I I've been wearing it quite a lot actually. I mean it's between that and the Sea Dweller forty three. I, I really do like those watches. The Batman, the BLNR and the Jubilee is a completely different watch. And if you haven't had the Jubilee bracelet uh, for those of you interested in watches, and, and I don't know if you had have had one, Bernard, um, the Jubilee is a really nice bracelet to wear. It is a very light okay. watch. It feels very light mm. on the wrist. It feels completely different. Never tried different. one, actually. Yeah, it's it's okay. it's nice. It's a nice change, actually. I, I, I'm quite happy that I have the two. You know what I mean? I have that as as one of the mm. variations. And being on a GMT, which is so embedded in Rolex's history, the Jubilee bracelet. So. But there's always something else. We're always looking. It never ends. Unfortunately, with watches, yeah. it's like Porsches. You can't just have one. You want more <laughs> than one. Uh, yeah.
1: So, and I mean, but I mean, my daily watch is the Breitling Navitimer Rattrapant, which is my wedding present, actually. And to be honest with you, of all the watches I have, it is my favorite. I is the watch where I look at it. I can't stop looking at it. You know that feeling like when you yeah. turn back, you can't stop looking at your car. I think as a design, again, I'm biased. People may disagree. I think the Navitimer is the most beautiful watch they've ever, and yeah. I've got the in-house movement. I just love it. It just and it's, it's in a brownie colour, so it actually matches the Porsche coincidentally. But that's actually my daily wear. I've actually got it on right now, and you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at it. I just yeah, I just shake my head every time, going, I can't believe I've got one.
0: It's a nice watch. I mean, I had opportunities to buy vintage ones years ago. At not that much money, you know, a friend was selling them and Mm. I I could have bought them and I never did. And I really, you know, I regret it. I regret a lot of things with watches. I had the opportunity to buy a lot of watches, which now today are are worth a lot of money. But, you know, you can only do what you can do. You can only buy what you can afford. Bernard, as we said, same as 911s, you shouldn't wait. You should buy the one you can afford and enjoy it now. And it seems like, you, you know, you've got a, you've had a good Porsche story so far. You've had that 944, you've enjoyed BMWs and now you're in your 911, which is fantastic. Uh, you've got great roads there around Brisbane to drive it and enjoy it, and it's. I know it's only new for you; it's only three months, so you haven't really got to fully experience it. But it seems like it's it's going to be a great ride and, and a long ownership uh, with the 911.
1: No, no, thanks for that, Michael. And I think just to close out on the watch story, Jerry Seinfeld's a big Breitling guy and a Porsche guy. So there's, I mean, I'm not as funny as him, but uh, <laughs> he's my favorite show of all time. So for the listeners out there, if you're a Porsche guy and a watch guy, you'll know that he's also you know, got a massive amount of brightlings as well. So I kind of have a good story there too, when I have the Brightling and the yeah. 911.
0: But everyone, you know, a lot of Porsche guys are into watches. I mean, it's about design. It's about, you know, it, it's, it's something within us, you know, it really is. Bernard, we're gone over time, but that's been great thank you so much for being on the uh, podcast today uh, I really enjoyed you sharing the story I think the listeners are going to enjoy this one um, we haven't had I haven't had many 991 owners on the on the podcast so it's always good to hear a you know more modern perspective and also the fact that you also owned a you know a classic uh, Porsche as well um, anything you want to share with the listeners before we go
1: no look I I, I... The only thing I'm going to be a little bit apprehensive about is listening to this podcast when you do air it, because I never like hearing my own voice, so I don't know how <laughs> I'm going to sit through it. But I look forward to it, and look, I'm I feel honoured to be to be on this podcast. And look, we'll we'll definitely continue to chat, and I'll send you the link to my nine four four as well after this, so you can see it for yourself on car sales, so you can see what it is.
0: Yeah, absolutely, do that. That'd be great. All right, that was. Uh, thank you, Bernard. Thank you for so much for being on the podcast.
1: No, thank you, Michael, and uh, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. It looks great over there in London. All
0: right, everyone. uh, Thanks for listening. So that's uh, Porsche Good Owner Stories number, here we go again, number 36. 36 36 with Bernard uh, from Brisbane in Australia with his uh, 991.1 Carrera in anthracite brown. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening and bye for now.